Welcome to the Take 92 podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I'm excited about this one. Got to sit down on location in Olympia, Washington with Crescent Moon. He's a front man of Kill the Vultures from Minnesota and also one of the two MCs along with Joe Horton in Mixed Blood Majority. And been a fan of this guy for a while. We did a collaboration a few years back as well and it's cool to finally meet face to face and talk music and also just as a crush kill artist myself i think it's great to sit down and and break bread with someone who's i consider in the first generation of crush kill artists and and those groups that idea surrounded himself with and wanted to put on so here it is crescent moon all right so I've got Crescent Moon here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say in the studio, but we're not in the studio. We're uh, in, a, we're on a patio. At a bowling alley. Yep. In yes, Olympia. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was glad we got to take a walk and actually, you know, get to meet for a second before yeah. uh, running cold into the into the interview. But, um, just saying, been listening to Kill the Vultures since, like, 2010, and, uh, we did a track together a few years back for Death of a Salesman. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's the first time we actually crossed paths. So kind of. <laughs> it's funny how that works, you know, in the, the age of the Internet. of just like yeah. you could literally collaborate, make a song with someone yep. and never actually <laughs> meet. You know? Yeah. For, <laughs> that's that's kind of for years to come. Yeah, that, yeah. We just had the four year anniversary of that album uh, like a month ago or something. So. It's been a long time coming. It's a trip, yeah. But uh, you were saying it's been quite a while since you guys have hit the road as Kill the Vultures. Yeah, well, we uh, we travel, uh, we, we tour maybe annually or, uh, you know, whatever, but our the routing has been mostly Europe. So this is our first uh, U.S. tour ever as Kill the Vultures. Anatomy and I were in Odd Jobs previously, so we were touring heavily with that project, but that ended in 20, uh, 2004. So, yeah, it's kind of a trip just to be back uh, hitting the road in the States. And I love it, you know, um, you know, traveling with Christoph and, and Patrick Pegg, a.k.a. PCP, has been great. They're just great dudes to travel with. And the, just the scenery is incredible. I mean, just, you know, you see incredible just through Montana to... Um, northern Idaho. I mean, there's just crazy nature stuff that I kind of yeah, forgot. Yeah, Idaho's was, really nice. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Like, the more that I tour, the more every place looks the same. <laughs> but yeah. when you take a sabbatical, you know, and you go out again, it's like, oh man, I forgot about all of this. You know? Yeah, no doubt. And Thank there, are, so there are plenty of places, especially in the Midwest, that that look. Uh, all too familiar, but I love I love traveling. Though. You're out here uh, supporting your new record and the new Kristoff uh, record. Yeah, um, I think we should. Uh, I, I like to touch on some of the some of the history that people don't get to know. Yeah. Um, when did uh, Kill the Vultures get started? Well, um, I would say the seeds of that project started in like 2004. Um, Technically, we were still in odd jobs at that point. And Anatomy was too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was one of the two producers. So uh, Anatomy and another guy who went by the name Detox, 
um, he was the other DJ producer in our jobs. And 2004, we were all living in, we were renting a house in the Bay Area in, in Berkeley, California. And we had lived in Brooklyn the two years previous to that and just decided to try something different. So we went to the other coast. Um, and before we actually settled in that house in Berkeley, we had done the, we opened for the Atmosphere Tour, the Sevens Travels Tour. Nice. And that was pretty epic. I mean, I, I remember it. I think it spanned about three months, and there, there's like a definite break somewhere in the middle. Like a, we had like a week off to be back home, but it was a lot. Um, so learned a lot, and at the same time, I think it also that that tour specifically planted seeds as far as the artistic vision of what Kill the Vultures would be, because I think it exposed a flaw in the logic of odd jobs there was something about the music we were making that wasn't it didn't feel as sincere or as mm. like as genuine as we wanted it to be i don't know and so well sometimes you'll you'll get to a different place in your life and feel like this isn't it it feels almost insincere to go up and be performing this thing that yeah maybe you've worked a long time on but it's not really where your head's at at the exactly. moment that's what so it was. I can get that. That's what it was. And, you know, just to be frank, it was like there's kind of a difference in uh, visions between the two producers. So essentially the last <laughs> we made uh, <laughs> we made two records simultaneously with each of the producers. They were both supposed to they're going to be odd jobs records. Um, but as it, as it stood, we made the final odd jobs record exposed negative that detox produced and uh we made the first kill the vultures record that had me and Nomi and adam all from odd jobs okay i saw that on the table yeah. and i was i asked chris i'm like what is this i've never seen this one before yeah it's the it's very first record we made so that's almost odd jobs like transitional record kind of yeah and it's so different that it's like you could play that last Odd Jobs record and that first Kill the Vultures, and it's like, I don't know that you'd be able to recognize that it's the same people. Oh, really? Even though it was made in the same house but by the same people. Yeah, it's just... That's cool. You, you almost couldn't have more uh, contrasting aesthetics, you know, as far as a record goes. It's very different. Though. So you guys have a very, like non-traditional in the sense of there's there's jazzy hip-hop like track yeah. called quest but your guys or or like even freestyle fellowship yeah um and i would say those are kind of the two extremes of you know quote-unquote jazz influence sure. hip-hop but yeah. you guys are are something entirely different where it's a little mm. more um free form in the music as well yeah i think that's one of the things that struck me right away was Obviously, I told you about that opening line that grabbed my attention. But, yeah. you know, as as you listen through the course of uh, any of your albums, it's just got such a, a like a looseness to it and a sprawling like like a natural flow between all the songs. And it never feels boxed into the like, oh, but here's the four four boom bap beat that's sure. going to glue it all together. Like, yeah. Sometimes the beat doesn't even drop. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it yeah. goes in crazy direction. You got these like 
public enemy saxophone squeals and stuff, but like no traditional, uh, you know, MPC behind it or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think it's really interesting how you guys carved out your own thing with that. I mean, was it conscious to push boundaries and try to take it as far as you could, or was it just a natural result of your chemistry together? Yeah, I think it's maybe a combination. Um, but yeah, as I said on the on the that atmosphere tour, I think we were doing a pretty. Even though it was eclectic production wise, it was still pretty boom bap like just a reference to just kind of mid school, like you said, Tribe Called Quest and just some of the stuff that was just like, it felt good and feel good stuff, party music, put your hands up, say ho, like all that yeah. stuff. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But for the music we were making, uh, it just simply didn't reflect where we were at. And so I think we just got to a place where we were feeling very boxed in and very limited uh, by the conventions that we had been following and it just got to a point where we weren't sure exactly exactly what we were trying to do necessarily i think we just had the faith that we would know when we got there if yeah. we got there and so we just started really uh led by the the vision of anatomy as the producer like he just started looking for sounds that reflected uh something closer to where we actually were or just how we were how we were feeling at that moment and uh yeah if you listen to that self-titled record it's just very sparse and kind of ugly and uh just not not welcoming at all i mean it was it's, it's a pretty angry record you know um, do, you, do you guys like clear the floor ever when you're out there Absolutely. doing something because i've seen some video of you doing some aggressive shit on stage yeah oh my god yeah the the first the first proper kill the vulture show we did uh back in minneapolis it was kind of like an album release for the first record and <laughs> i mean we had already you know we'd been gone out of the city for two three years hadn't had much of a presence and whatever we just tried this brand new stuff so the only people who were there in the first place were people who were like oh yeah it's like the odd jobs guys yeah so that's probably what they're expecting <clears throat> and yeah we pretty much cleared the room <laughs> like pretty much yeah and that's yeah i mean that happens sometimes so it just is what it is but i think we kind of knew going into it that that was a possibility yeah at the same time i'll say that We've also tapped into people who really connect with it, probably like more like we've found people who are moved and like convinced and by it more than we ever did with Odd Jobs music. So even though Odd Jobs was like we're charting on the CMJ charts and like, you know, touring with De La Soul and DJ oh, wow. Shadow and stuff and like we, you know, we're doing great things that felt like oh man we're making it we're doing this stuff but at the same time it was just kind of like there was something that was missing from our, our lives that wasn't feeling super fulfilling and if, if again if i just have to compare what people have said to me about the music um it just seems like yeah it's killer vultures might be a harder sell just to the general public but the people who who find it and like it and 
it seems like it's just more meaningful to them. Like it just it it reaches something um, that maybe we never could with odd jobs, you know. And I think that's something that you'll find in time with a project like that because, at least for me, there was a um, sort of when you shed some of those old fans by changing from one project to another, it kind of frees you from the constraints of expectations, Absolutely. you know? And so all of a sudden your, your uh, crowd gets a little smaller, yep. um, but you do start to notice different kinds of feedback. And whenever I take a chance on a song, especially if it's something like personal, yeah. and I'm not sure if I should put it out, maybe I'll show it to a close friend and they'll, they'll encourage me to, to do it. Yeah. Um, whenever I try something like that, where I, I think this isn't palatable, or this is this doesn't have an audience. Yeah, you know I make it for me. And I'll try it out there, and those are the songs I always get the strongest reactions right. to of right. someone actually giving a an anecdote from their own life that it resonates with them because of this that happened in my family and right. whatever. And it's like wow, okay, and it and it it fueled the fire to make me want to keep digging deeper and going in different directions that haven't been done or at least that I haven't done. Yeah. Because there's always going to be people who want that authenticity. They want a yeah. genuine, just something genuine though to latch onto, you know. So again, it's like we might be making music that like it's just never going to be for that for the general public. But um, but again, there's always going to be people who want to hear something that's like, oh yeah, this this makes me feel alive, or it seems like it's some connection to like some deeper human experience that maybe you can't get if you're just listening to Top 40 Radio or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Now, I want to talk about Mixed Blood Majority a mm -hmm. little bit. First of all, awesome name. Um, Thank you. <laughs> secondly, awesome lineup. Yeah. Um, as you were describing the the move from Odd Jobs, I couldn't help but think that to some extent the Mixed Blood was like, okay, but we're also missing a little bit of that, and that shit's really yeah. fun. Kill the Vultures and No Birds Sing, because you have Joe Horton yeah. uh, as the other MC right. and uh, Laserbeak uh, from Doomtree on the production. I get a sense that all of you uh, are kind of moving inward mm. a little bit, back in your hip-hop zone, in, in, in your hip-hop box, you know, yeah. for that project. And uh, I was really surprised when I heard it, like some of the more up-tempo stuff is a lot different for your flows <laughs> than, than the, the more... Uh, sparse, you're dropping short, heavy lines, you yeah. know, in Kill the Vultures. Uh -huh. And this one, you guys are like passing the mic quickly and yeah. um, seems to be a little more lighthearted as well sometimes and having fun with it. What was that, um, I guess, the genesis of that project? You know, as Joe and I became closer friends, we were looking for an excuse to be in a group together, probably. Yeah, I think we just started, like, daydreaming, like, you know, who uh, who would be an interesting, or who do we want to work with, like, who would be a, a producer, and it was a pretty short list, and Beak was definitely, like, right at the top, if not the number one, you know, person, and it's so random by him, and he was super into it, and that was another thing where Beak and I had been looking for an excuse to do some kind of project together for... <laughs> That'll be a fun edit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Beak and I have been looking for an excuse to make music. And, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it really just came together very seamlessly. Um, the first record was was interesting because 
essentially, you know, Beak just dug into his vault. He just had this, like, you know, treasure chest of beats, and he was oh, just like, just, like take, your just pick. take your pick. That's cool. Whereas the second one, Insane World, um, that was the first time that we were like, okay, you know, he, he would make a beat, and he had a whole new process of how he was making beats um and so it wasn't it was the first time that it wasn't sample based so that was that was a big step for him interesting yeah, yeah. i recognize that they had different sounds but i just didn't know if that was a conscious decision of you know you guys wanting to differentiate the group you know and where it was headed or um uh, yeah i didn't pick up on the no samples thing yeah that's, that's cool and we also had graham o'brien who produced kairos christoph crane's record he he yeah, came Graham's in awesome. and added a bunch of stuff at the end, um, which was incredible. And uh, so, yeah, anyways, it was just sort of like a bunch of dudes in Minneapolis just like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And I think, yeah, it is. it, it did uh, have this kind of nostalgic, like, I missed that in my life. It's definitely, I missed, well, one, having another MC to, like, play off of. Yeah. Because ever since that first Killer Vultures record, you know, I really haven't made a record or been in a group with another MC. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of a refreshing, like, it's nice to have this back in my life. And there's things that I'll probably always love about that, like, mid-school, like, past the mic kind of, kind of vibe, you know. Yeah, there's definitely a different, whether writing it or performing it, um, there's a just a different thing that comes out of, the chemistry with a friend or like when the illusionist kind of started dissolving i was working on a lot of solo stuff but around that same time i mean same year as death of salesman i started a group uh with another friend just two mcs and we'd get beats from wherever and he's been on almost every single one of my tours either as the duo or as an opener and we get to rock a few songs together and it's just super fun to go up there and like the competition of it, of like trying trying to one up each other on verses, or, yeah, for sure. Or uh, just getting to walk up and riff for a minute and step back. And for me, I like playing the hype man on somebody that I really enjoy. Yeah. And finding you know clever ways to to do back and forth shit like. Um, right. Yeah. As much I as it's it's easier for me to dig into like deeper concepts and stuff by myself, it's yeah. still a lot of fun just to be able to go out there and rip it up with somebody you love. Right. Yeah, because I, I like I learned how to be a hype man at the same time that I was like before I ever learned how to do like a front man role. You know what I'm saying? That's right, because you were a touring member for ENA and Atmosphere, yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, uh yeah, I was I was backing up idea and abilities and like uh I wanna say ninety seven or ninety eight uh, we started doing shows around town and uh, around Minneapolis, and um, and then they started touring in like, or I started touring with them in like 2000 about, and uh, yeah. So, anyways, it was like between between hyping for for Mikey and then you know my first group CMI uh, cases of mistaken identity uh, odd jobs came out of that. So I always had a group of MCs to, yeah. to work with and write songs with and perform with. So, yeah, again, that's sort of my, my own personal genesis as a, as a MC was like 
you are one of many and it's about you know the overall show and you know making sure everyone is shining and it's a big transition uh for when i made the careless flame the second kill the vultures record because that was really like in a lot of ways it felt like it's my first like solo record and it was as an mc of course anatomy is like he 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 became my my partner in that but as far as just being a vocalist and it's like oh shit like it's that explains the hunger that you hear on on that record you know and uh it's almost got a not sonically uh, really but your writing in that era specifically reminds me of like open mic eagle in a way of of a lot of uh very poignant lines without ever feeling like you have to impress with flows or anything like that sure. you know it's very much the economy of words and yeah. and the impact of each particular line uh-huh. you know so hearing the context is cool and yeah. and like oh yeah that was that was kind of his <laughs> i'm gonna prove this to myself like i'm gonna yeah it was, it was scary it was a scary time you know it's like yeah. walking a tightrope and it's like i hope i don't fall i'm gonna yeah. i'll try not to but you know and when I when I started doing solo stuff, I had been in this group for so long yeah. that I'm only used to rocking with Webb's beats all the time. And wherever we go, people are always like, oh, I got beats. And I'm like, yeah, no, you know, I got my dude. And so we'd turn down everywhere. And when I started making solo stuff, I was like, I don't, like, I produce all these bands, but I don't really know how to make beats. And so I started just getting musicians to come in and we would record these live band tracks that were yeah. kind of abrasive and um i didn't really know how to make a rap record so i ended up making this crazy like it was like the refuse were playing and i'm like scream rapping on it or some weird shit yeah, you know yeah. and when i was doing that i was just clearing the floor and you know mm. doing all this shit but mm. learning how to man the stage without a hype man, without a DJ, without anybody just standing there by myself. And so you can hear when I did finally start doing solo rap stuff that I had at least pushed through that and and learned a few lessons of breath control when you don't have somebody to trade with and and just how to get back to it as a songwriter. Because when you're in a group, you contribute your verse and you're done, basically. You know, like a a lot of rappers are great verse writers. But then you hear them on their own, and they're not songwriters. Yeah, you know, right. they always need somebody else on the hook, right. or there is no hook, or uh-huh. whatever. And so, being thrust into that situation is like, oh no, I really have to bring every aspect to this. It's kind of a fun challenge because, I mean, for me anyway, the first little while, like you fuck it up a little bit, and yeah. and you know, <laughs> you kind of figure out like, okay, no, that doesn't that doesn't work, or I don't give myself enough room to actually perform this live, or whatever. And, yeah. I don't know. It's a fun, fun time. I just love the whole creative process of it. And I was saying to my my folks the other day, like, I almost feel bad for people who get it uh, right right out of the gate, you know, or have like success right out of the gate, yeah. Because they're always compared to like this one thing. Whereas I've just had this gradual process my whole life of like, learn from that, learn from that. Not gonna do that again. Ooh, this is cool. Let's, you know, and just kind of building my toolbox over the years one album at a time and Mm -hmm. i think there's something just really freeing about that being able to do whatever you want you know go kind of like we talked about if once you're you're 
audience from this group goes away, then you you can build a new one. Yeah, you know, kind of on its ashes. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there was enough of a pause between our um, our previous Killer Vultures record, H.A. Beast, which came out in like 2009, I think, and Carnelian, which dropped in 2015. That's a six-year gap. Yeah, and, I was waiting. You know, in, in <laughs> band years, like, that's, you're like, you might as well not be a, you know, you could easily just never return, and people be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I think even our own fan base as Killer Vultures had sort of written us off in some ways. They're just like, oh, they had, like, they had a cool little run, but like... Well, I was surprised when it came out because you hadn't put out anything... Well, you did Mixed Blood, but that was still a few years ago. Yep. And then you put out two records in a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, 2015 was a busy year. Like I was saying, it, like HA wasn't as well received as like Careless Flame or even a self-titled record. Really? Yeah. And it's interesting we, to me because it's it's if totally, anything it's it's more accessible, I think. Yeah. Than Careless Flame. Interesting. I, I think. Uh, well, we could speculate, but I, I think there were parts about those first two records that people appreciated as being more well, like so the first record has more of like a punk sound, and and that's. That's what some people latch on to. Careless Flame, it was it was jazzy, but still had sort of like a, a DIY. It sounded like it was co- recorded in someone's basement. Totally. And yeah. so that was, it just had this, this sound. And I think H.A. was like, it, it's really cold and calculated and kind of slow, like plotting. And for whatever reason, it just it just didn't strike people the same way. I totally <laughs> get it. And we, we've considered, we've talked about actually remaking um, some of the core tracks of that album because because of what Anatomy learned from making Carnelian. He's like, oh, okay, I think I know what I was trying to do there. Um, I always have that inclination, not to cut you off, yeah, but, yeah. It, but when you, you put something out, like sometimes even the next year, I'm like, fuck, I should have waited and put that on this one. Like, should we redo it? Like, especially if you haven't road tested a song, like once you've performed it a number of times and you're like, fuck. And you you put on the record like a year later or something. You're like, yeah. Oh, that doesn't have the, that doesn't have that pause. It doesn't have this inflection. That, oh, he doesn't do the beat drop there. Like, <laughs> man, we, we hadn't figured this song out yet. Uh-huh. You know, I always want to do that. It's hard of like, well, in what context do I re-release this shit? <laughs> right. But again, that's the the freedom that comes with just doing doing your thing. You True. Know? My you know my point being was just that there's a pause. People are just kind of like, oh, they're probably done. And for us, in a lot of ways, it was like that that Carnelian was the record that we'd been sort of building to the whole time we'd been Killer Vultures. Like, I I swear, everything that we learned, you know, came to fruition on that. And so for me, that was like a 10 year record in the making. But now we're already like, we're trying to, we're figuring out where to go next. But, uh, how is it different when you guys decided to get back together and, uh, and start writing again? What was, the goal for that project i think we did consciously step away like i think we tried to make something happen earlier and it just wasn't mm. we, it just wasn't there and i think for anatomy i mean I, I won't speak for him but from what i gather uh he just yeah he hadn't like he hadn't found the the sound he was looking for yet or whatever he just he just the, the inspiration just wasn't there and yeah i think for me as a writer i'd gotten I got sort of like off the path too and just we, we, we made some songs. We made a batch of songs 
and you know, like some of them, some version of them did actually end up making it on on the record, but most of them didn't. And so I think we just took some time away, and at that point, it was like I still had this other band, Roma de Luna, which is kind of this folk Americana band that um, you know I was doing, and so I was that was the most active band in my life at that time. And then basically the shit hit the fan and like while KTV was sort of on the back burner, it was like, you know, me and my wife separated in divorce. So I was basically trying to figure out, you know, how to be a single parent and a human again. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like life shit happened. And, I, and so then the making of this of Carnelian before we even knew, you know, what it was as a record, that's that's what that was the fire again essentially it was like i was going through all kinds of crazy shit but i feel like <laughs> i had a i had a purpose again or i had there was like enough real life things happening where it was like i, I almost like had to use that as my therapy and as, and as a means to find some kind of ground artistically yeah. you know i think sometimes that for an artist anyway can be reinvigorating you know if you like i took quite a uh, hiatus from from writing rhymes thinking i just don't want to repeat myself you know i'm going to focus on other avenues and you know i made a punk record and did some other stuff and i wasn't going to start writing my next solo album until i, I couldn't wait anymore like until it was just coming yeah. out of me you yeah. know so you know, last year just had family things and lost some loved ones and went through different twists and turns. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be the first thing that I release like in my 30s as far as like a so solo album anyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, th I think it's a lot different than the last one. And, and sometimes it's going through some gnarly shit and writing it down kind of helps you navigate those waters and find your footing again you know it's right. like it's like having a a good confidant or something to talk through something with but you know it's your it's your beat maker you know absolutely <laughs> it's your, yeah. your co-writer yeah i wanted to ask about uh and we don't have to if you don't want to but i'm i'm curious as um our newer generation crush kill artists myself yeah. what that was like at, you know as it was starting you may have been adjacent to it i don't know that kill the vultures was i don't know was was any of that early stuff like recorded or or released in conjunction with michael no um because I, I just remember seeing you know you guys around and obviously he introduced me to your music and, yeah. and uh you know at the same time seeing chris and graham and and shank and everybody you know working with him and, yep. and uh you know by the time i had got into the fold it was kind of a changing of the guard and yeah. so i wasn't around those years so i'm curious about yeah. it you know um what his involvement was in your in your musical life um well shit yeah like i said you know i started backing up mike and max uh in high school and so yeah i mean those dudes were a huge influence on me um some of my earliest show experiences was through them. Um, and then, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think after after I was no longer 
hyping for ENA and then transition hyping for atmosphere. Um, you know, I mean, I think we, we, we just, we lost touch a, a bit. There yeah. was a number of years, no, no bad blood at all, but like, you know, he was doing his own thing. I was doing my thing and then reconnected. I don't know, 2000, 2006, 2007. And, you know, a lot of change. I was back, I was living back in Minneapolis. I was married. Uh, I was a new father. And he was transitioning more to, you know, doing more experimental music. So it wasn't just idea and abilities, you know, yeah. like carbon carousel, face candy. Same thing that I was doing as far as with Kill the Vultures. I mean, just seeing what else was out there. And, and so I think uh, it was interesting to reconnect after all that time because, you know, we'd, we'd uh, gone very different paths, but then also wound up in fairly similar spots. And um, there was, I mean, I, I really feel like there was always a, a very mutual respect um, between us. One thing I, I wanted to sit, share the story real quick about Mike because yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it just meant a lot to me. So when I first started um, backing him up, I was so new to rapping that, like, you know, I was just, I was just fucking new, man. I was such a rookie, and <laughs> uh, you know, at that point, he was already just his ability to. to to freestyle was he i mean it was just uncanny you know and so not only was i new to writing but i was new to freestyling any kind of improv and he basically was just like well if you're gonna be my hype man like you better like you better know how to do it and specifically he was on some like you better be able to battle shit you know and so i was like all right well and then he's like so i just remember him calling me up randomly he was like you know, what are you doing? I, was like, I don't know. I'm just chilling at home. He's like, he's like, all right, I'm going to come over. We're going to battle, you know? <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And like, that was it, you know? <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck. Shit. You know, and just getting all kinds of nervous. And he showed up. And this is, you know, I had uh, a little boom box in my room and a stack of uh, hip hop singles that had the instrumental version. <laughs> yeah so that's what we're <laughs> that's what we were rapping over and i just remember you know it was just like a you know like the classic when a big brother is fighting a little brother and the, the big brother just sticks his arm out <laughs> while you're swinging arm's at him? Length, yeah, yeah like yeah. holding my forehead while i'm swinging that's basically what happened uh you know verbally verbally but the big distinction was that anytime it was clear that I was just getting my ass whooped and I was ready. I was on the brink just being like, fuck this. I'm done. Just frustrated, right? Like, what's the point? I can't beat you. Yeah. But anytime I got to that point and, and sat down and it was kind of like getting up, he, he said, he was like, no, 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 you're doing good. You're doing good. Don't stop now. Just keep going. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got something there. And so th I just, that meant a lot to me because... I knew at that moment that it, he wasn't doing that to make himself feel better. You know, yeah. he could have picked on anyone and been trying like, to challenge you. Yeah, you wanted to challenge me, and like that's a teaching thing. You know, that's like me, and as a someone who's like in the world of education too, it's like 
he, he was doing that really to make me better, uh, you know, as an artist. And and so, yeah, I just, I just always held on to that. And I think that's consistent throughout his whole life. Um, anyone that he kind of was drawn to or brought into his circle, he did whatever he could to lift everyone else up around him. It wasn't about, like... Because some people, I really believe some people surround themselves with people that they know they're better than because they just yes. want to look better. Big you know, fish. They want to look cooler. Yeah. Thing. And that wasn't his thing. Um, so I just always appreciated that. But well, uh, And he also yeah. just had an eye for potential. And I don't, I don't, you know, like a lot of people I've talked to, and this is kind of a fun example of, yeah. of, of him just like, oh, I'm going to come over and like smoke you over yeah. and over until you you know get better at it yeah. but like you know i was talking to Ethan about it when i had him on recently and it's like the stuff that the either of us were doing at the time that he like took a, a liking to it and saw that there was something beyond that yeah. like i don't know how he was able to to read people in that way and then kind of you know give them what they needed to push whether that was a little uh encouragement or a little bit of a challenge or or reimagining what you're doing you know that, yeah. that kind of thing like i've heard just so many stories from different people that i've met over these last years uh that show the same kinds of mark that he leaves on people you know yes it's kind of interesting yes. cut to when you know unfortunately the last phase of of uh you know mike's time here on earth and um the last conversation i had with him well, he, he came to my 30th birthday party. We we're both not in the right mindset to have um, intellectual conversations at that moment. We just sort of freestyled and partied and stuff. But the next day, he called me, and um, yeah, we had a we had a really good talk and actually sorted through a lot of things that we hadn't um, cleared up in, in a long time. And he was talking about, yeah, he talked about Crush Kill, you know, and he was like, yeah, he told me his vision and was, you know, listing off the the groups that he had in mind. I was honored just to to be on his mind and just to, to be on that roster of artists that he was like, man, like, yeah, I want, I want, we need to, we need to circle up and, and, and team up and, and do that, so... Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that it uh, didn't work out that way, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it is what it is. Yeah, definitely just an amazing circle of people that he had built around him and, and championed, you know, like I, like I said, when he was rapping your lyrics at me as like, not like, oh, you should listen to these guys, they're cool, but like, you should listen to these guys, this is what they do, like, I'm going to perform... <laughs> three minutes of a song for you and you're like damn he knows the whole fucking thing okay i'm gonna check these guys out right. you know him and max would just send us like oh hit up these guys check out carnage check out shank check yeah. out uh i had already known isid at that point you guys were obviously on that list but like oh you guys would really dig this stuff like check it out yeah even just by accident over the years of playing shows out in different cities and running into people and having that like common thread of like man you guys are the shit and we start talking for whatever and like oh fuck another ena connection man like yeah. they just had um and mike in particular a, a way of um 
like with these powers I can do good. You know, like he had got some 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 status and Absolutely. some success and was just like built that studio, started working with people and 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 just wherever he went bringing other people up and yeah. like it's it I don't know, it just makes me smile seeing his influence today and and having this conversation right now again wouldn't happen because uh, without him so yeah i'm honored to be a part of it as well <laughs> yeah. hell yeah all right that is our show thank you so much for listening all the way through i know it's kind of a shorter one but uh we we touched on quite a few things in there kind of hard when you're on location at the show make time you know everybody's setting things up and getting ready to go side note if you like the show please do give me a, a good rating, a review on iTunes. That'll help people see it, share it on your Facebook or whatever so your friends see it. Got a, a small audience, but I think we got a lot of good content here, a lot of good stories. Um, if you want to hear more stories about Idea, I've had a lot of guests on recently that connected through him in that way. Some Crush Kill artists like Carnage and Isid and also uh, some artists that uh, you might know from his side project supergroup the orphanage blueprint and illogic so plenty of idea stories there i'll always shout out the guy who not only was a big influence in my record collection but here in in real life face to face as well um i wouldn't be doing the things that i'm doing now without him so thank you again for that mike and i had a funny interaction with uh Crescent Moon at the pizza place right before this interview. We're going to tack that little portion of the interview on after this song. I want to start with a song that we mentioned in conversation that I said was the greatest opening line since America's Most Wanted. It just gets your attention. The song's called Moonshine. Oh, apologies for the audio quality on his mic. I had some kind of interference and I removed the noise the best that I could, but... You never know what's going to happen when you're on the road. Here's Moonshine. Kill the vultures. On the bottom of my bathtub Wondering if I should come up for air The one thing that'll always bring me back up Is remembering that my moonshine is there I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime Some people need friends to be happy some people need to spend a hundred bucks on clothes Some people need cards and birthday cake But me, I don't need none of those Cause I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got...
say humans are made of mostly water They say the planet is too Me, I ain't never really cared for the taste And I don't know about you But I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got a love-hate thing with New York City Never knew a place that felt so busy Ran circles round me till I got dizzy What's the price to get your balance, boys? About a dollar fifty for my moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime Moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your dime I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your time I got moonshine Drink it all the time Goes down rough, but it's good for your time I cop moonshine I drink it all the time It goes down rough over dollar ninety-nine said I think we could probably wrap up. We've cool. had a good good chat yeah. on top of our pizza chat <laughs> with with the most uh, pepper I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I definitely was just trying to sprinkle a little uh, crushed red pepper, and the whole cap fell off, and it was li- like literally buried my pepperoni pizza in a mound, and it, I felt bad mostly because it, I saw people walk by and like legit think that. I that's had, what you wanted. I voluntarily put that much <laughs> pepper on it. Did you see the? There's a family. There's like a, a father and son kind of behind you. I, like no less than four times, I saw them both look over and look at their like empty uh, red pepper shaker, oh. and like just be, look at me like this asshole. Like just- this guy fucking <laughs> took it all. <laughs> I was I was secretly hoping that somewhere in that room was the guy that did it. And, I hope so you know, too. I like, hope so. Like the dude who's paying the least amount of attention to to yeah. your reaction, we're laughing and, yeah. and, and the, uh, the employee comes that. over. You know, there's, there's some probably video. some guy in the corner that's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly as planned. You know, doing his little Mr. Burns fingers in the corner. Like, like, I should have just freaked out and started accusing like everyone in the room, <laughs> like you did it. <laughs> Welcome to Olympia. Yeah, and right. now we're about to play a rap show in a bowling alley. In a bowling alley. Yep, I played a punk show in this bowling alley, and it was weird. All right, looking forward to another weird one tonight. <laughs> Let's get weird. <laughs>